Hey everybody, welcome to Outspoken. This is episode number 70, the first episode of the year 2020. I am your host, Justin White, and my guest this week is Timmy S. Uh, He and I have probably not seen each other for 20 years, which is a bit crazy to think about, but um, we were acquainted long ago. He's the dear friend of some of my dear friends, and I'd like to call him a friend as well. And uh, he was gracious enough to welcome me into his very cool little apartment south of Market in San Francisco. And uh, we were joined by his neighbor's cat, Lucius, who you will hear from time to time uh, running to and fro. And um, yeah, I think we should just get right to it. But uh, first, let's listen to these children on the bus discussing wishes. And how do I you have a wish of mine? Like, can I tell it to So, welcome. Thanks for uh, having me in your house. Thanks, Justin. Your house of many, many years. Oh, yeah, the house. Yeah, we should, because I don't live here all the time, we should talk about the house. So, this is a place south of Market, a small place. We talked about this a little while ago, so it's kind of like we're cheating. But it was built in 1916, and it's a fisherman's cottage. And I've had this place, I'm not kidding, since the very late 70s, I think 1978. Oh, there's the kitty cat. There he is. 78, um, wow. Yes, at that point, that was the year of all the punk bands because I was in, oh, I was in several of them. I was in, uh, uh, so I was in a band called the Blow Dryers and a a boy band, we call ourselves Times Five. Uh And um, yes, so that was like the punk. And I used this place, like the front room I used as like a music studio. Nice. So I had... That, that was the time that synthesizers were coming out, but not the kind you could just play with the piano. You had to, you know, plug... Uh, cables in. Cables in. Right. Just like those operators you see in, right. those, in the movies from the 1940s. Like a lot of cables, right? Yeah, yeah you would do that. And so um, I've had... That's how long I've had the place. That's incredible. And, of course, you know, it's it's got rent control and all that. And I, I live in Southern California now. I've lived there for four years, more, a little bit more. But I've kept the place, and not sorry I did, because it's in a great location, and it, uh, I don't know, I just still love having it, so I always stay when I come up. So I'm up up here for a couple of weeks. But you've seen it change so drastically in those few decades. Yeah, Yeah. just this location Yeah, you know what, that's an interesting, everybody always talks about San Francisco, how it's changed. So just right here in this neighborhood, this neighborhood now is all... uh, you know, it's mostly condos. Mm-hmm. In fact, at the end of the street, they're built. They always had a height limit here. I think of, uh, I don't know what it was. It was probably two stories, but then it was four. But now at the end of the street, there's a building going up, and I counted. I think it's nine stories, like right in the corner. And so the whole neighborhood has changed, um, and it's expensive. When I moved here, I remember this place was here, 
And I remember, oh, I was the only white, I was the first white person that got into this building because the other three, there's like three places here. There's like a little courtyard. And they were all older black people. There was uh, the person that lived there was Mr. Howard. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he, there was just a sign in the window. And I kept calling that number for about a month and finally somebody answered. But they said, we'll go see Mr. Howard. Mr. Howard was this old black man from um, Louisiana. I know, I, who I know paid $45 a month for that apartment. And when I came here to inquire and to have him show me inside, you know, he came inside and we were in the front room. He goes, now we don't want to have any he she's in here, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know what you mean. And I wouldn't want those people around me either. I just, you know, just saying I'm a total hypocrite because I wanted to get in here. You just wanted to appease him, whatever he well, needed. He, and he wasn't that bad. It was a very you know, non-aggressive form of whatever, homophobia right. or whatever. Uh -huh. And then, and in the back there were, um, there was a, the man I got this apartment from, he, he actually worked, I think, at Goodman Lumber or something. He was involved with, there was a woman in the back, Lucille, and a guy named Buck. And that's what this neighborhood was like. So it was a hangover, I guess, from, I don't know if you know this, but I think all of Third Street and before they built Moscone, that was all, you know, not really ghetto. It was all like more like urban blight, I guess you would yeah. call it. And so the people that lived here, you know, that's who lived down here. And some other people in the neighborhood was changing. But it was really open. A taxi cab over there. All these things were empty lots. Um, I remember there being tons of empty lots. Even lots. When, yeah. Like 92 when I moved here, there was the, well, there was even a, a mobile home park. There was? A ways down. Yeah, there was like a Happy Donuts and like a wide open parking lot that was used for for campers like people could come in oh so not like mobile homes because i i live i have a mobile home down south from like 1970 but they're more like they're like not they're like manufactured homes they bring their double wides and they would bring in right. one piece and it's been sitting there since the late 60s well this is like for camp for, for actual campers, like yeah. transients who would i think come i through, knew. But, but then I, they could stay for as long as they wanted in this wide open parking i think lot. i knew about that and then otherwise it was just warehouses and most of them looked unused or you know maybe they were lived in but they weren't actively in business yeah there was a, there was a t across the street there was a taxi cab company and um a drayage place. I never knew what drayage meant, but it was a drayage place. And is that um, horses? Isn't that no? I think drayage is like I don't know. I, th I always thought it was like digging stuff. I don't know okay. digging stuff up. I don't know what it was. But <laughs> in any event, there were. It's it kind of really shows you how much more sophisticated the world is now. Back then, it seemed that you know you would have these companies and. Some, the person who owned the company was actually there and you could see them. And I think now everything is, I guess sophisticated is not quite the right word, but it is definitely not as simple or personal as it used to be. Yeah. So now it's all condos in the street. And so this little place here is still here. And, um, and the reason for that is it has, this place has a certain amount of historical protection. It was a brothel. Oh, cool. oh. This little, and, these little cottages? Yeah. That's cool. And so from what I know, the Clara Street was named after Clara, and Clara was a madam. All, all of these streets, I didn't know that so much. Clementina, Tehama, um, they're all named after these madams that had places down in this part of town. 
So, um, yeah, th so this particular place, you know, I thought, well, why, why hasn't it gotten torn down and all that? Well, oddly enough, I guess I picked a place with, you know, this historical protection, too, which is why I'm here, too. It hasn't Congrats. been torn down. So That's awesome. It is a little bit of a, uh, yeah, more than a little bit. It's a, it, it was a great find. And so now we have all the condos, and they're expensive. But if you look, and on my street, this time is not so bad. But normally, you know, I think every place in San Francisco, I was, I was pretty surprised by all the tents and all the stuff on the street. If you don't live here and you come up, it's more and more all the time. Mm -hmm. But but on the street, this time I've been up here. I mean, I we've always had homeless people here, even when it wasn't even an issue. Right. But now it doesn't seem, it seems pretty low-key, but, you know, there's always people out there. There are a lot of people, but it's but they seem to have little communities in certain spots. And yeah, they're, they're, it seems like there were, when I was here the last time, there were tents in the street. Mm -hmm. And even like right outside across the street. But this time, no, not really. But this is never, like when I look, think about it, this has never been a good part of town. But now any part of town is going to be majorly expensive. Yeah. And, of course, the places, the nice places that, you know, you'd never see homeless people, property values there are just, they're crazy. Does it does wow. it bum you out to see all the development? Or it, it, you know what? It, I don't live here. So I, and, and I get, I, I, I will go on Facebook. You know, I saw some posts on Facebook like, who else out there is feeling horrible and depressed? And then you'll see a whole list of people. I am, I am, this and that. You know, it's because of politics and stuff. And, you know, I was thinking today, I wanted to make a post, but I was thinking, you know, because of the way I am, I always feel like I am, if I'm not feeling right, it's that it is something that I could correct or it's something to do with me. But I realized that so many people, I think, they think that the reason they feel bad is not their fault, anything they did, but the politicians who are around them or the people who are directing. And, you know, I don't know if maybe I just don't have a global view of the world and maybe mine is more centered around myself, but I just can't. And my father was just like those people I described, you know, I just can't gauge my everyday life on what's what is happening and what I read. In other words, I can't say, okay, I feel bad not because of what I'm doing or not doing, but because of some law that was just passed. Mm -hmm. I, I don't get that kind of thinking. Have you always been that way? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I guess I'm independent. It's just, or maybe I just don't have a social conscience. <laughs> and I get the social things, but... I just find that I could, I either just don't do that because of the way that I am. I just don't buy into, we all have to be together. And if one of us is sad, we're all sad. If one of us is happy, we're all happy. I just, I think I have just not ever been, um, you know, I, I don't think I buy into the mass mm -hmm. media thing because mm -hmm. I, I know advertising doesn't affect me as as much as some people, but I think that I don't. So when I see something bad that happened, I mean, like where I live, there was a family that died in a fire just before Christmas and everyone sends thoughts and prayers and this and that and the other. And, um, you know, I thought it was terrible, but I can't really do anything about that. And um, 
like I'm not going to say this is going to this has ruined my holiday season. I'm going to be sad. It would be a lie. Mm -hmm. It would be a lie. And so I don't know if that means I just don't have uh, the compassion that most people have or if that compassion I see or whatever is just something that's just expected because of, um, you know, this increasing interconnection that's supposed to be between all of us. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like that is where things are. So social media, I think, has taken us there. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have, like, if you were to have an internal, do you have your own internal struggles? Do you have things that you like kind of battle with? Yeah, I think, but it's funny. I think that right now what I'm battling with is the amount of stuff I have to do because I just retired this last year uh, from teaching full-time. Lucius, would you stop that? (laughs) Look at that. Lucius. (laughs) Hey. He's okay. I don't, he, mind. He, I don't mind if he, he's he's on um, he's chewing up Justin's not the bag but the bag strap. He can have it. It's that fine. is a bad boy. What is he? <laughs> he's so funny. He's so cute. Um, look, yeah. So so I I taught. I just took my retirement. I'm turning 67 in a couple of weeks. So I took my retirement. I was teaching finally at a school um, in Escondido, and so you know a job definitely keeps you on track and you know for the last um it's more like since i turned 50 that's when i started teaching i never had my first teaching job till i was 50 so it was a whole new career and it's gone on for you know 15 years or so um and so this i'm still do i think i told you this earlier but i'm still doing um work it's consulting work it takes place on weekends in fact I'll be leaving here next week after my birthday to go down because I have to start that. But I have a lot more time than I did before. Plus, I'm older. My friends are, for the most part, like 15 years younger than me. And, you know, some of them are quite successful in, you know, show business and, you know, uh, uh, they kind of have celebrity at this point. They do a lot. Uh, And, um, you know, I uh, I won't mention who they are, but they're just people around town. Uh, well, you know, I can say some of my pals like Peaches Christ and uh, Hecklina, who just, uh, who's leaving for, uh, got just got a place in Palm Springs, in fact. But, you know, they, they're doing a lot of things. They're very relevant. Uh, they, you know, have tapped into, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the culture here and whatnot. And it's given them really good careers. Mm-hmm. So for me, who just stopped doing what I was doing, because you know that when you're working on something that you love, that takes up a lot of your time. I think that's my biggest struggle is now that I, I have to deal with having more time, uh, having less stuff to do and feeling less relevant. So that's something that I'm trying to deal with. And that as going back to what I said, I cannot blame that on some administration or something that has to do with, you know, something that I'm going to have to deal with myself. In other words, it's my responsibility to deal with that. And if that causes me, whatever, some kind of uh, something negative, then I have to do things to fix that. But that's not something that has anything to do with uh, what's happening in the world. I'm not going to blame that so I think that that's probably my uh, biggest thing. Other people say you know you should have a partner or whatever. 
That's kind of a funny thing because that's something that, I mean, I have in my life, but that's something that is not like some kind of priority for me. So it's something I never think about. But I think the main thing is what I'm doing, what I'm producing, and you know what I feel like my potential is versus what I'm actually doing, which right now, for the first time in my life, is not that much. And I can sit here and say, oh, well, you know, you're, you're pushing 70. Um, you know, that's when people usually retire and do this and that. It doesn't seem like a good enough excuse for me. So I think there's things I still need to do. Do you feel a drive to do? Still, yeah. Like you still want to create? And Yes, okay. I do. That's and so, good. but it is more difficult when you're older because it is true that when you're older, you are, I don't but maybe some of it comes from you and some of it comes from other people. But I think that that's just not a, uh, you have to struggle a lot more when you're older. To, I was sorry. To, you know, it's true. I mean, well, I was going to say like some people would what you were just saying about, you know, getting older and not, you know, what a lot of people would just blame society outright and say, like, it, yeah, you, you are once you reach a certain age, you're invisible and people don't take you. You know, they there, there's there is a so, sort of a social, uh, you know, standard for for how people behave toward elderly not to say you're elderly and you don't you don't act you don't act it or look <laughs> no, at i mean i'm over 65 i'm a, i've been getting you know and down the senior discounts <laughs> so <laughs> that's nice they that's started for some in some places they started 11 or 12 years ago right but it's always like yeah so i mean you get senior discounts and um you know that's once you get a senior discount i think you're kind of a senior so yeah i but, am a senior and i am i might not be uh i'm not too similar to the most of the people down there who are my age just because they didn't have the kind of you know more like crazy up here lifestyle i did but um i just don't i mean i think you can i don't know i i just i for some reason with my personality i it's always been like okay i can't really blame other people and um you know, it's it's always like if you're going to help yourself, you know, you have to do that or get people that can help you or figure things out. But it's like you have to come up with the ideas. And if you are, you know, not relevant or whatever, well, that's just the way it's going to be. But I don't think you can just blame. Some people just blame society for yeah. everything. And, you know, I mean, I guess they have a point. I, I just don't really do that. I'm guilty of that to some extent. I, I also believe that I have, you know, I have my own, I need to take care of my, what's going on in my head. You know, if there's a problem, I need, I know that it's me that needs to make yeah. the adjustment, but I, I just have a really hard time doing it. Like, I guess a lot of people have that. Yeah. But when I do look at posts, you know, it's like I woke up, I feel terrible about my life. I know why. It's because of this bill that was just passed. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is that, is that, is that, is that what your life is about it's not about these feelings that you have it's just about you just know the external media. stuff yeah um i don't know i've always said it's a, it is a good thing to have your attention it's i don't believe in really sitting around thinking about yourself i think if a lot of your attention is on the outside world i think that's a really good thing because you know i mean and particularly as you get older it's like you can in a way you can do more to make something else look beautiful than yourself because you know i mean you can still you know shine a shine glass and make it look nicer it's easier than you know 
than giving a whole facelift for yourself and making right. yourself look beautiful. But I think external, if you have if you have an external uh, outlook in the world, I think that's better. Do you However, believe in therapy? Huh? Do you believe in therapy? You know what? I've been in it. Um, I told you like earlier before the mic went on. I was in group therapy, mm. and the really cool thing about that is, like I told you that. I got asked to leave because they said I was too insensitive <laughs> to do that. And it was it, it, it was an aid support group, and it was a group, and it, it was specified mostly in Kaposi sarcoma, which I had pretty bad in the mid-'90s. I went through, you know, in 1995, I was pretty close to, luckily those drugs came out then because I don't think I would have, I probably would not have survived another year. I was in really bad shape. Wow. So I was in the support group, and... I loved it, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I love things for reasons that are maybe unclear to other people, or they're not the typical reasons. I just liked it because I looked forward to going, and I wanted. I liked hearing everybody's problems, especially the problems I didn't have, because I was fascinated that they had problems with this and that and the other, and I never thought about that stuff. So for me, it was really great. Whereas other people say, I don't like group therapy. It doesn't relate to me. I think I liked it for that exact reason, is you could go there and people had the same problems as you, but you would hear other things that, and other things about them and other things about the problem itself that you hadn't thought of. I welcomed all those other ideas, but many people I talked to said, well, they're not talking about what I want to talk about. Um, I... I like the other way of hearing yeah. all their funny did, problems. Did you find that you would take, you'd learn from that and take on certain things, or did you just always have oh, your I, own? Well, I, no, I learned, like, there were definite things I learned in terms of the physical thing or dealing with that, or, um, you know, I made some friends in there, and um, uh, I like seeing the people over and over again. I guess maybe that, I've never been to AA or NA, but I think I always hear people like that, like some people just developed a drinking problem just so they could go to AA and network <laughs> for and the fellowship get more yeah. famous whatever <laughs> and so um uh, I I just I enjoyed I just enjoyed the interaction and um uh <laughs> there was one this one guy uh, uh oh this was a guy like I told you earlier that uh you know people would check in for if you don't know group therapy there's you sit around in a circle and then each person gets five minutes before the whole general discussion. And you can't interrupt them. Like, they could talk about anything. But I remember this one guy. He was the guy that always had problems. Uh, he always talked about his dad. Well, one day I came. I was going to Berkeley then because I was, I was coming out of the chaos thing. I think that the, that the, drug, the drugs had already come out. And once that happened, I started to get back into my life. But in any event, I came in. And I guess that they thought that I, like, I never, I was always hiding my problems because I never talked about them. But I came in from Berkeley and I had all my books with me. I was a chemistry major. This was like 19, this was like 2000. It was when I first started. And I remember I had, I was math and chemistry and it was really hard. And I remember I put my book bag down. I go, oh my God, I've got so many problems here. And of course, you know, I was talking about my either chemistry. They were crazy. Berkeley was so hard. Yeah. And the guy got really excited because 
he was like, okay, this is, we're finally going to hear from Timmy now, like what the big dark secret is that right. we never hear about. And so I did the check-in. And so and right after the check-in, you know, you're allowed to speak. And he goes, well, wait, what about the problem that you were talking about? You said you had all these problems. And I'm like, oh, they're math and chemistry problems. And he kind of started crying. Wow. Be because um, he was so ready to hear these problems. And, you know, I didn't really have uh, that many. Um, I mean, it was terrible having chaos, but I didn't really have that many emotional problems or I didn't really. I, I mean, I was dealing with them, but I didn't really mask them with other problems I had. So it was like, OK, it's a survival thing and I'm doing this, but I'm getting better. And at that point, I was already looking toward the future mm -hmm. and not stuck in no, that wallowing. Fig. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, they were my big problems. It turned out they were math, <laughs> the math and chemistry. Problems. And chemistry. Don't chemistry forget about right. chemistry. Yeah. So anyway, I got kicked out eventually because uh, I not kicked out, but asked I was to asked to leave. Like there might be a better support group for people like you. And so, you know, that was that. sort of self-contained like you I guess kind of... I, th I guess I probably am yeah okay and and who knows that probably comes from you know when I look at social media there's a lot of things in social media are I responded to one of them today I usually don't and it was about it was about being gay somebody and then how this person because they were gay um, you know you grow up hiding your true identity and how he was always very uncomfortable around straight guys. And, you know, I posted something in there because I didn't really feel like that. I mean, I got picked on it for being a sissy kid when I was young. And, you know, people made fun of me, but I always felt like they liked me. Uh -huh. So, and I went around with them. I wasn't discluded from things. It was always like, you know, um, you're such a sissy or whatever. So I got made fun of, but never felt really disincluded. I was raised in Philadelphia. But when I came out to San Francisco, you know, I got into punk rock and all that stuff, which was not a gay thing. I'd say in punk rock, I'd say punk rock was 5% gay at the max. Yeah. It just was one of those things, you know, the, the big disco thing was happening when I was younger. But it's funny. I felt uncomfortable with the, you know, normal gay society here in the 70s because I think now looking back on it, I was from the East Coast and that was a Midwest that was really repressed, you know, right. 
these were very repressed people from a very, I think the Midwest was, the East Coast was bad, but the Midwest is like, we don't talk about this. And I've heard some horror stories from there, but I think people just went in the other completely opposite direction and they just immersed themselves in that into that community. I think maybe being raised, it wasn't like the East Coast. Yeah. So I never bought into that. I always liked, um, and I always liked rock and pop and stuff. So I, it's funny, I felt like less a part of that community but I know a bunch of people that feel that way too. Yeah. Not not everybody was like a disco clone or something. That was just the that was just what you saw. The, right. Yeah. So I felt like you know fitting in. I felt I never fit into that category. But there was a lot going on in San Francisco that for years that I always felt that I fit into. You know the, the whole punk scene and more of the art thing. Not so much the uh, you know. Uh, the conventional gay scene. Right. There was always a lot going on in San Francisco. There was, you know, a Club Uranus, and after, you know, um, all the different things that happened here in the 80s after the response to AIDS, and, you know, my friend started Tranny Shack, and there was all that stuff, the big drag explosion. So there were great things here. Um, but there was always parts of San Francisco I never really dealt with too much. Mm -hmm. Definitely the Castro was, that was not my kind of no, scene. It was just way too, everybody was the same. And it was like, and I think it was a Midwest. Yeah, thing. just like the finally, we're finally able to express we're ourselves. Finally, yeah, so we're going to go here. as far as you can go in that expression. But you were saying, so you responded to this post because you were saying like you didn't really have that experience of being excluded not, because you were gay. Really. Or, I mean, I, yeah, I, it seems like I grew up in Philly. Which is a lot growing up in Philly. Yeah, I grew in, up in the time Philly and it was right outside of Philly, but it was like, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny because where I lived in Philadelphia, the, and when we were like, I don't know, 12 or something, all the kids would go down and have sex in the woods. And, you know, I just assumed every neighborhood was like that, but uh -huh. I guess people grew up and they said, no, we never did anything really? like that. Yeah, so the thing, and there was this one guy, I just saw him when I was back there in September, and I remember we always had this thing, like, I guess it's fine for me to talk about this, Lucius, we always had this thing where I was good at math, and so he would call, he would always call, we didn't really like each other that much, but he was. He would always call and he'd say, like, I'm stuck in this math problem, and I'd be, oh, okay, yeah, that's a pretty hard problem, well, can you come up and help me with it? And then I would go up there. And then after that, it like we would look at the problem. You go through all the stupidity. Oh, yeah, this is a hard problem. And then it would be like, well, what if we just go over to the woods and have a cigarette? Okay, let's do that. And then we would do that. And we would wind up having some sexual encounters there in the woods. And it was funny. So I would do that with him separately. But then where I lived, a whole group of kids might go down to the woods and... um you know, to sex or I remember the first boy that grew up the most. It was there was a there was this one day and all the parents were out on the porches on the street and there was this one day where I guess he the first kid actually came or stuff came out because I think he was turning twelve uh -huh. and people were running down the street. I remember <laughs> there were parents on the street and I had not gone down there but this one kid was screaming across to the other kid Danny so-and-so was playing with his dick in the woods and this white stuff came out. And, you know, I know that parents were out there, uh -huh. but that's the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. That's amazing. So they, 
I think it was a better maybe environment than not ever talking about it. And, um, you know, it just... And maybe it was just because it was Philadelphia. Was Danny ostracized after that, or was he? Was he oh no, he was, was a like, hero. Oh, okay. He yeah, was no, the, he was. Yeah, he was. Oh, he, he's the first he, to, to. Yeah, he was like older than us. I remember his last name, but I'm certainly not going to say it. No, he's good. probably still alive, but he they, he he grew up on our street, and and um, he's a yeah, legend. Right. I guess he was a legend, and <laughs> you know the parent and and it was so funny where I grew up because there was like a child molester person that would get drunk. And he'd come to the woods. And I remember our parents, they would just say, you know what? Just pick up a rock and throw it at him. He was and like a known he was a Yeah, known and he would drink. Like if he drank, he but, would, you know, wander around and, you know. And um, that that was our advice. Throw a rock so different him. today. Yeah, just throw a rock. And it worked. I mean, you know, if somebody's drunk, they're not very good. It, it always worked. And if we were in the woods and... He would come. He, you would see that guy. Yeah. So that's people, horrifying. Though. People I mean, dealt like with parents would flip out if that yeah, were happening. People, right no, now. people dealt with that in that way. I think because it was just like <laughs> uh, just throw a rock at him. Right. I mean, it was he was a pedophile, but one of those probably when they get drunk and easy to deal with. But yeah, Philadelphia <laughs> was definitely things were different when I grew up. But that's I. I it could be one of the reasons that makes me the way that I am is the way that how things were for me growing up. Um, it was, uh, things weren't ignored. I mean, they, definitely they were looked down on and there wasn't very many, I don't remember of any other gay kids in my neighborhood, but. Um, Did your parents know you were gay? Did you ever? You know, it's, well, my dad, I told him first. My mom was like a right wing religious person. So it's funny, I waited to tell her I told her that I had AIDS before I told her I was gay. And when um, I told her that about the AIDS thing, I think that was in 1988, because um, I had taken the test, my HIV positive test was in 87, um, which, by the way, somebody, a doctor gave me without even telling me. That's what they used to do back then. Yes. They would just give it to you secretly. And then, um, then just reveal just the results. You, yeah, just call you like on Tuesday morning and oh, say, oh, by terrible. the way, yeah. And the doctor that did it to me was like, you know, well, you have antibodies to HIV and I won't be able to see you anymore. But back then, everybody was pretty scared about it. But back to my mother, I remember I told her I was in Philadelphia visiting and I was about to go to New York. And so I thought, oh, this might be a good time to tell her because she was super right wing and but she handled it real well. What is he doing? It sounds like a horse galloping. It's amazing. Lucius. Come here, buddy. So um, she handled it well? She did. And again, she's like, even though she's right wing and, you know, crazy conservative, she's like an East Coast mom. So I know I said I have something I need to tell you and you, you need to sit down because I wasn't usually like that with my mom. So she looked pretty scared and she, like she was in her 70s by this time. And, um, so I told her, you know, and I was sitting there, and she she didn't really like to deal with stuff like that, but she did like just reach across and kiss me right on the lips. No. Oh. So she even though and she was a little indoctrinated, I think, by these conservative people. So that was her nature, I think. But she just, I think that you can get brainwashed 
you know, this political thing is, you know, it's really true today, too. It's like sure. you have allegiance to this party or this group. And so everything that comes along, you buy into. And so, yep. and I think that that's what, you know, all those John Birch Society, all these things that she was part of in the church and all. That's what I think they did to her. But she was actually, you know, not, you know, a bad person. Yeah. My dad, I had told that I was gay quite a bit before because he's English and he's, you know, much more, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say liberal. He was a Quaker. My mom was a Catholic. Although my father could be, he, he could be, he could kind of bring it back and sort of slap you in the face with it sometimes. But later, when I told my mother I was gay, it was like four years later. It was in 19, in the 90s, like 1993 or whatever. And it was on the phone and I had called her. I remember I was at work. And at the end of the conversation, because I realized, you know, I've never really confronted her about it. I didn't want to think of, of it as a confrontation, but I said, there's something I really need to tell you, Mom. I mean, it's been all of this time and so on and so forth. I said, you know, I'm gay. I'm your son and I'm gay. And <laughs> she was funny. She's like, I knew that. It was obvious that she didn't want to go into details. Yeah. And she'd be like, you know, well, I knew that. And during the time in between the time I told her that I had AIDS and the um, gay thing, we would talk on the phone. She died in 99, so she was alive all through the 90s. But we would talk on the phone, and I, she was real funny because I would tell her, like, um, oh, you know what, Mom, I just got a T-cell test, and my T-cells dropped another 50 points. My mother would be like, oh, really? Because I had my test, and mine are fine. And I know she didn't even know what a T-cell was. Right. But that's what, she was definitely not a nurturing mother. Like, she would say something like that, and I'd go, shit, I don't think anybody's mother would ever say anything like that. But in a way, I thought it was funny, and I know she didn't even know what a T-cell was. But she definitely wasn't like, oh, that's terrible. I mean, that. what does that mean? She. That's the way she She was. just would pass it over. Something, yeah. I think she didn't really want to deal with it, but she was... In the long run, looking back, you know, I think that she was good. And she did, she raised three of us. My dad, they were split up by the time I was eight or nine. And I think she did a really good job looking back because it was hard. There were three boys and she was always doing nice. She always took us to museums and she was definitely, a, you know, a mom that, you know, did a bunch of stuff for us. She, cool. We just didn't have money or anything. So, but anyway, that's the story of my um my parents and the whole HIV and the whole gay thing. And and you said your dad you said your dad is someone who sort of looks like blames the world for problems. Oh, they they uh, I I have to say this, all the males on my dad's side have died by suicide. So wow. My grandfather in England in the 50s and then my my dad only had one brother. He had two sisters. The sisters uh but it was the brother. And then, so his brother, John, he died by suicide in, I think, the very late 60s in England. And then my dad, he, he, he always thought it would happen to him. I'd say, no, dad. But then he had a stroke in the early 90s. And he was, he was a very bitter, very bitter person and very critical, like hypercritical of everyone and everything. And he rarely, hi, Lucius. He rarely had a, you know, when he was, um, when he was away from people that were supposed to be his friends, you know, you could see that he would talk about them mm -hmm. in a ver not nice way. So he, he was like that, very critical. I think he was just unhappy. 
And he, after his stroke, he made several suicide attempts. And he finally, uh, it was just crazy. He finally did succeed. Um, and he, that was probably in the mid-90s. I was doing this show then and I had signed a contract so I couldn't go down. But my intention was to go down. But he, you know, he eventually succeeded even though he was under observation. And apparently he drove everybody crazy down there with... With the, <laughs> the cats running up and down, like <laughs> I think we'll have to let him out pretty soon. He's got a lot of energy, but he eventually succeeded. But um, and then in 2010, my younger brother Kevin, he jumped off the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in the you know middle of the day. Just drove up there, jumped out of the car, and he was schizophrenic, and he. You know, I didn't, I have personal experience with this. It's like Kevin always had some problems, but suddenly when he was in his 50s, his brain just went haywire. Wow. You know, and they had to medicate him and then he wouldn't take the medication and they calmed things down and came back the next uh, year. And you, you can't really get any information or even if you call and say, I really think, you know, that things are really bad with him they're like he just got released from the hospital we know what we're doing he's fine but of course he wasn't and um so he so there's something in my family i have one brother that's still alive who he's like me he's pretty outgoing kevin was very private you know like he wouldn't really know what was happening with him mm -hmm. uh my brother who's still alive is he's been like a substance abuser all of his life but he has that kind of outgoing personality that I think, you know, kind of saves him from that. But he always has, you know, depended on, you know, and still alcohol, drugs, or whatever. And that's like a lifelong thing for him. Yeah. Although you'd be, I, I suppose our family has pretty good genetics physically because he's turning 69 and he still looks pretty good. And he smokes and drinks and everything. <laughs> and I managed to survive all of this, you know, junk that... Uh, you know, that that's, you know, related to AIDS. I've had cancer seven times. Seven? Uh-huh. Jesus. Six different ones. What? Yeah, six different ones, seven times. And, um, oh, yeah, I've had a crazy... Uh, yeah, I, it's, not like I, it's not like I have not suffered from, you know, HIV virus. Some people get it and not much happens, but a lot has happened to me. But I've survived that stuff, and it has been... Um, it's pushing... Oh, this year, it'll be 35 years since my actual test. So probably, I think I probably had it probably since 81 or so. Wow. And that's a lot of people from back then are certainly not around. Yeah. Because I did Most. some research at Yale one summer about that. That was my research for this uh, teacher thing I was involved in. And I think from back then only like one out of 75 people are still alive it was you wow. know from early so i have to consider myself lucky so i'm not going to end my life i mean i'm like i don't have whatever the depression that most of my family have i don't seem to have they all have thick hair though yeah i missed out on can, the hair can you attribute do you think your your health or your ability to to stave off these these you know physical maladies to your outlook do you think that you know what i think so and it's weird because i remember my mom even my mom and conservative people never 
buy into that thing. That's usually like a liberal thing. Like, uh -huh. oh, you know. But my mom, the, one of the nice things that she would say is, oh, I think you're going to be fine because you have a good outlook on life. So she would say that. And I guess that means a lot to me now that she's gone because normally, like, conservatives never say shit like yeah. that. Yeah. They're always like, oh, no, this is, you know, all controlled by God. I don't know. They have a different outlook in life. Right. But, yeah, in that sense, she seemed kind of like a, something you'd hear liberals say because she did attribute it to that. So I guess of the kids, I was talking to, I have a cousin in Denver. She was older than us, and she came out every year from when we were kids from Ohio to Philadelphia to visit. And I, she, I just visited her this summer. She goes, and we talked about Kevin because, you know, he had died. And she goes, well, I remember she was three years older than me. So her take was this. Like, the older one, who's still with us, he was always the one that would devise what we were going to do. And she said, you were always a go-with-the-flow person. In other words, you would agree, okay, everything, let's do that. And then my younger brother, Kevin, was always the one where it was hard to get him to go along with the group and you know, do whatever the four of us were going to do. And this do. is from early on. Yeah, this is when she, you know, I would be, I was, we, the brothers were close. Like when the older brother was 12, I was 10, and the younger brother was 9, and my cousin would be like 13. Okay. So we were really all close. close, but yeah. there was, you know, and so that's how she remembers it. Because a, a year back when you're younger makes a difference. You pay a lot more attention, I think. Yeah. to other people than when you're 13 or when you're 9. Yeah. So that's how she said it went. Huh. So, you know, I guess our personalities do develop or, and uh, you know, earlier. But I guess I always thought of myself as shy and stuff. She said, no, you weren't. You kind of, you know, you were willing to, you know, go along with what people wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was her take. And I just thought it was funny because I liked it so much. I said, could you tell me that all over again from the beginning? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to hear it twice. But do you still dance? Or did you, I do. Was, I, in the, in the, um, where I live, I live in Hemet now, which is, people are like, why the fuck do you live there? <laughs> but you know what? It is a weird town. And I'm at, I live in a mobile home from 1970, and it's beautiful. Um, and I have it done up super good. I'm really, as you can see, I like all 
you know, stuff from the 60s. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Uh, late 60s, I love that cheap plastic, uh, you know, with that really, not the, I used to like the good stuff from the 50s, but now I just like that cheap stuff. <sighs> Early 70s too, I like that. Uh -huh. And so my place is 1970, but I'm, there's quite a few houses there from the 60s. I'm looking for a good one. And people are like, why don't you just move to Palm Springs? Well, Palm Springs is super expensive. Yeah. You know, houses there that were $2,000, 2000 they probably were. <laughs> At some point. But 200000 yeah. they're a lot more money now. And a couple of my friends have moved to Cathedral City. But I like Hemet because people still, it has a bad reputation and it has not been taken over yet by all those housing. Yeah. But they're coming. They're coming yeah, fast. They're coming for everyone. So they're coming for everyone. So people are like, well, you know, I don't, I want to be there. There's still a lot of space until that happens. And so um, I like, I like being, now that I'm older, I, I, I like a place that's not hip. And, you know, there's no gay bars there or anything. Yeah. In fact, I said, I should open up a gay bar here. And they said, you know, you'd probably get rocks through your windows right away. But see, that doesn't really bother me. I just think that's kind of funny. <laughs> and, um, you know, the people are like that. Cause, yeah. So anyway, that's... So you don't the, have any kind of fear of, of anything? No. I mean, the crime level is high there uh, because... I think it was always such a nice town. People that say, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't like this. But apparently a lot of people are there from Los Angeles now. And they contract with Los Angeles. They open up Section 8 housing and all okay. that. So the crime is way up, okay. you know, since the... And these are, you know, I've seen that with my own eyes. Because in these parks, in these communities, the people that don't own but rent, those are the people you always have trouble with. Because... They have no investment in the place. Yeah. And they don't, and I suppose that they are always like that. Like wherever they are, they don't own it's anything. Mine. Don't exactly. Yeah. And so I get that. So that that's what happens. But I think it's a cool town and um, has some real interesting '60s houses in it. And I think I don't need to be. It's kind of central. You're not. You're like a half an hour and a half from LA, an hour from San Diego and Palm Springs. So, you, and it's definitely not. 120 degrees in the summer palm springs is ridiculous yeah so um i kind of like where i like that and but people don't understand why but i i i just i like the space and the the, the pe i like those people maybe it's your philly roots and it's just like I know, a that's more real I place because i said you know i because the people on this post said yeah i've always had you know, kind of a fear or an intimidation of straight guys. I, I never had that. Mm. I didn't think, I'm, I'm like, you know, if they didn't like, I don't know, I just, I, I guess I never really feel like I face that much discrimination for being gay um, I, because I think I just never noticed it. Mm. And um, I don't know. That's pretty cool. It, it, yeah, it's pretty good. Well, I was, I was actually looking at a house in Hemet. And there was this guy, he was a cute guy. He was probably 55. And um, he was the guy that he was doing work around the place. And uh, what's his name? Dave. And um, the guy who actually showed me the place, we went out there and met Dave. You know, he goes, you know, when you first came here, I'm like, oh my God, these two, I don't know what's going to happen when you meet Dave. For the first 90 seconds, I was like, but the thing is, Dave and I, we started talking, and he's funny, super kind of butchy, conservative guy. But we talked, and we seemed to get along so well. And then he was real funny because he, I said something about something, and then he knew I was from San Francisco, and then he suddenly goes, 
Oh, yeah, that in San Francisco. This is kind of becoming clear to me now. And then um, I'm like, oh, yeah. And so, but we already ha had developed a pretty good rapport. And the other man was kind of amazed because he said he's never seen Dave ever talk like that with somebody that he figured out was gay. Wow. And Dave was saying, like, what, what would I, what would I, if I went to your house and I opened your drawer, would I see lots of high heels and stuff? I'd go, no, just like maybe two or three pairs <laughs> and stuff like that. But he, he was kind of uh, amazed by that. Cause, That's cool. Because we were already in like a Yeah, you had connected on a human exactly, level right. before that. And he, and he was nice. And I even toward the end of the conversation, I sort of kind of, a little bit of a clue that I thought he was like a cute looking guy. Uh-huh. Kind of just it passed, I guess. So nice. I, I like when that happens because mm, I, I don't think we should all think, okay, because of politics that this person's politics are different and obviously they might hate this person. You can still get along with them. Mm -hmm. Some you know, if you if both of you I don't that that made me uh tear up a little bit. I think it's amazing. I, mean, I must a, like I must like Dave. Yeah, I'm gonna go back. I know. And in fact, what's weird is the house that I'm looking at is that house that I went back to. So who knows? Maybe Dave and I will be neighbors. That's amazing. But obviously, there was something about that it made me feel so good, and we got along. And he was, uh, he was, uh, he was like those guys in those film noir movies, kind of like a Sterling Hayden or. Those kind of B actors from the '40s, those guys. I always love them because I love Sterling Hayden. He's one of yeah, my yeah. He's great. He's terrific. The way he acts and yeah. stuff. He's he was like a Sterling Hayden. Kind oh, of cool. Guy. So yeah, he was. But it was funny the way he did it. So I like that because you don't. It happens that sometimes you 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 know get along on some human level and you don't really have to let your you know the differences of the way you think at least. Interact, mess around with that particular interaction. So that was cool. If only, if only we could start there, like get to that first before we revealed, you know, our status or what we, you know, our, our inner beliefs. Like if we well, could just start yeah. on like, hey, we kind of like each other as humans. Yeah. Why can't we just? Well, the thing is, it doesn't always occur at first. Like the thing is, some people are super obvious. Like some people, like you're just gay. I mean, you see them on the street, you can always tell. It's like, oh my God, you are so gay. <laughs> I'm not quite like that. But you know, after you talk to me for a little bit, it's pretty obvious. And um, so it was, it was, um, but, but the guy who introduced us said that it was already the first 90 seconds. So I guess it was more obvious than I thought. Cause he was like, I don't know how this is going to go. So, but it went fine, and I like when that happens. That's great. Yeah, you broke down some a barrier. For yeah, so you know, he's God. When I go down there, I'll probably have a gay bar open. Who knows? <laughs> Dave's Dave's gay bar. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I know. That's uh, great. Um, well, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Lucius is ready for something. I know he's crazy. He's just Lucius. He's back and forth. Hi, buddy. What are you doing running around here? He's got to get his laps in. I get. I know. If if he really wanted to go out, he would. I want. Do you want to go out? I think he's, he's like most cats, where you want you want all of it. You want to go out. You also want to go in. You talking. also want. All right. You want to be left alone, and you want attention. Um. Let's see. Well, I. That's the reason I came up here. Um for that and I'm going to stay for my birthday we're going to have a birthday in happy birthday North Beach thanks I know 67 gosh like I never thought I would never ever thought I would make it this far um, I remember like I remember that my one big goal was to make it to 2000 mm. that was 
you know, but now that's 20 years. That's a pretty, pretty great achievement then. In the rear view. Yeah. So, um, yeah, who knows? And now I guess my goal is to make it to 20, to 2030. That's a good idea. And so if I can make it to, yeah, because I never thought, and, you know, with all these health issues I've had, you know, obviously that compromises um, your, uh, and probably limits your lifespan and compromises your health to some extent, but you never know. I mean, if I made it into my 70s, I certainly could not feel like I'd been cheated by this virus out of my life because I've done so comparatively. I've, you know, lived so long with it. And, you know, the 70s, I think, is by that time is considered a normal, still like a normal lifespan. Definitely. And, a lot, and like you said, a lot of people are ailing at that age like most people in their yeah, 70s I mean, are starting to oh yeah fall people apart. my brother when he talks to me he's always like oh yeah so-and-so died and so-and-so died um, i'm like oh is he the one that used to drink every day yeah <laughs> like i'm not surprised but um yeah people are dying like when you if you if you have to deal with aids it's like oh my god this is the worst thing in the world when you're dealing with it but then you realize later that like if i had my choice of having AIDS or having a really bad back, I think I would just pick the AIDS thing. It's like, I know people with major body problems. I don't think you can be very happy like that. They're on pills, they're yeah. in pain, and it's just way worse. And so a lot of the things that people are afraid of, cancer and all that stuff, a lot of it's preferable to some other things that just, you know, I think they can really wreck your life. Yeah. I, I can attest to that. I have chronic so I like, pain. I like dancing and all that stuff. That's good. I do that. I, I was going to say that. I always get carried off. But in Hemet, lately, and it's kind of a, it was a little bit seniory thing, so I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But there's a woman, and she has this, um, it's like a choreographed aerobic dance weights, too. And I've been doing it two or three times a week in the morning, like at nine. And it seems like a little bit of a retiree thing. And there are some people there that can like barely move, but I love doing it because it just, you know, you get out in the morning, you have your coffee, you didn't eat. And it just, it just changes the whole morning. If you're not working and you're not doing something in the morning. Oh my God, those morning shows and TV. Like, I don't, I don't see how people can watch them. Me neither. They're just dismal. And it's like all these celebrities and how to make a cake or do this. Yeah. It's just like, God, I, I really would, you know, I really would think about suicide. Yeah, that would feed my depression for sure. Oh my god, it gosh. does. I don't. I'm never awake at, for those shows anyway. But if I oh, were, do you sleep I, I wouldn't. Late? I like to, yeah. But I also stay up late. Oh yeah, so that's well, why. If you, if you, Lucius, what are you running around for? <laughs> but um, yes, that is to me. That's really helpful. You get out and do that, and um, you. I just feel in San Francisco. I feel a little bit more uh, trapped in the sense that there's. Less, but I think today in the afternoon I'll go take a walk. We nice. went out. Uh, we went to my friend and I uh, hiked on Bayview Hill and this and that. And I, you know, here I even here I have to because I don't have a gym here or whatever, and I don't swim. Southern California is healthier. I just want to get out and do something and walk and just because that exercise. I definitely feed on that. What are you doing? <laughs> look! Look what he did to that. Got it. You know what, Lucius? That's a hey, hey. That's a new rug, and look what you did to it. That'll be funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I think we're good on time. I think I, it. We might have to wrap up. If, oh yeah. If well, I don't even. What time is it? 
It's uh, coming up on noon. Oh my gosh, that was that was terribly long. How are you ever going to get anything relevant out of all this crap? It's all relevant. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, you're human and you're an interesting. Human I think you should just cut. I think you should just cut out everything except for the cat thing. So okay, there he goes. <laughs> get away from the rug. Right. Like me trying to scold him. I'm not much of a scolder. All right. Well, that sounds really good. Um, thank you very much for um, uh, interviewing me. And, you know, I like to be interviewed, too, because I think I'm the kind of person that for me to think about things or things to be brought up in my mind, the talking of them, you know, brings it up. And you remember, I remember a lot of things that I don't remember on my own. I don't need to be prodded so much as just you just start talking in the open. Yep. That's the same for me. That's yeah. a big part of why I do this. It's it's really helpful for me, actually. And going back to listen when I'm editing, I hear things that I might not have caught the first time. And I, Will I be able to hear an edited version of this? For sure, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll let you know as you soon as You have to send it, me all the stuff. I will. Yeah. All right. Well, Justin, it was real nice having you. Did, was the coffee too weak? No, it's great. I, I, it was I my was, first of the day, so I'm, it was just right. It wasn't my best batch ever. I, I, I'm not going to hold it against you. All right. That's Thanks good. so much, Timmy. I really you, appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed talking to Timmy. Um, it's really helpful for me to get the perspective of other people. Um, I spend far too much time on my own, and a lot of that time I spend dwelling on negative thoughts, which is just something that has always happened in my life uh, since I was a very small boy. And uh, it's a hard habit to break. Um, I'm trying, and I'm. it's difficult for me, but I find that no matter what state of mind I'm in going into one of these conversations, I always feel better coming out of it. So that's very valuable to me. I hope it is for you too. Uh, I really, it, I've been having a hard time lately, to be honest. Um, 2019 was a harsh year. And I find that the calendar, it doesn't really abide by any calendar, one's uh, state, one's mental state. So a lot of the harshness has carried over already into 2020, and I'm feeling some heaviness, and I can't deny it. Uh, That motorcycle accident took the wind out of my sails. It's been a long frustrating, painful recovery. There's been a bunch of financial stuff involved. Uh, My tinnitus has gotten quite a bit worse. So there's a lot going on that is bumming me out, but I've decided that I need to start sharing some gratitude, which I've been doing, but I need to do it regularly. So I'm going to make part of my outro a gratitude list every week. Um, So this week I'm grateful for the fact that I'm able to play guitar again after all that time, I guess about three months where I couldn't even pick it up. And uh, I'm, I'm a bit rusty, but I'm very happy to be able to return to it. My arm is going to work again. Yay. 
Uh, I'm also grateful. I got some good news about my both my cats tonight, actually. My friend came over who happens to be a vet, and she did a little little checkup. And uh, my diabetic cat had very low blood sugar, actually almost too low, So, um, but it wasn't high, so that's great. And maybe she's headed for remission after all, after all the uh, the big scare that we had way back same night of the motorcycle accident, actually. Um, and then my other cat has this weird bump on his side that's been concerning myself and my daughter but uh turns out it's probably we don't know for sure but it's probably just a little fatty cyst thing that's benign and not any big concern so i'm grateful for those things and i'm also grateful for water always uh and i'm grateful for my listeners and my guests and i love you and i'll see you next week um hey write to me email at outspokenpodcast.com. Tell me what you think. Tell me if you listen to the show. I'd like some feedback. And uh, also go to outspoken uh, slash dash underscore on Instagram. It's actually at outspoken underscore podcast on Insty. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye.